Well, I appreciate the opportunity to share with you uh, this morning. I know I've met most of you. You probably don't remember it, and I don't remember you either. Uh, it'll take a little while, uh, but uh, it's been such a blessing to be a part of Prime Timers uh, since uh, being here in August. Uh, as uh, Rick uh, mentioned, I was with our Southern Baptist International Mission Board for 40 years, uh, served mostly in Southeast Asia, been to 157 countries, and uh, that's kind of the passion of our life. And we didn't retire, but we retired from that position with the International Mission Board in 2010, been in Mississippi, and continued to do a lot of mission work around the world is there as well. My wife passed away earlier this year, and I'd been teaching uh, classes at Mississippi College and discipling college students, mobilizing student summer missionaries, had 23 go out this summer. And when they disbanded from the spring semester, kind of got lonely and depressing. Uh, and so I came out to spend the summer with my son here. He's a deacon here at Highland. And uh, we were a big part of Highland when they were at Baylor back in the 90s. In fact, my daughter Lori was in the Second Master's Commission Discipleship Group uh, and uh, was the first group uh, with the first group that went into Afghanistan and you know what uh, emerged from, uh, from all of that. So we were fairly well connected and impressed with Highland and uh, then being out here this summer, uh, had a stroke in July and my cardiologist said that I'd had a heart attack as well, which I wasn't aware of. It's a kind of strange. And uh, so for some reason, my kids didn't think I ought to go back to Mississippi and live by myself. Wise kids. <laughs> I guess so. I think the Lord had something to do with it as well. And my son persuaded me, said, now, Dad, come on now. What's not to like about barbecue, Tex-Mex, <laughs> Baylor sports, good churches, and grandchildren? Pretty persuasive. So here I am. So we'll just see what the Lord wants to do, do with that. Well, turn in your Bibles to John 11. We're still in John 11. Reuben uh, kicked us off with a great, great lesson last week. Uh, if you weren't here, uh, you know the story of Lazarus and uh, Mary and Martha said, you know, if you'd been here, Lord, uh, you know, he wouldn't have died. But Jesus actually intentionally delayed coming to be with them. Uh, and sermon on what do you do when you have to wait and God doesn't show up in answer to your prayers? Well, this uh, chapter gives us a, a pretty good perspective on death. And I would say in this group, just looking around the typical age group, I would doubt that there's anyone here that hasn't experienced in a very personal way the death of family, loved ones, uh, friends, maybe even a spouse, certainly parents. And uh, it's a time when it certainly challenges uh, our uh, uh, faith and what we believe and still grasping to understand what we've already always proclaimed we do. Uh, like I said, my my wife of 57 years passed away in January. Uh, 14 months earlier, my son-in-law, uh, missionary for 21 years in Central Asia, 
passed away at age 54 with lung cancer. The week after my wife's funeral, I went to Florida to conduct the funeral of my son-in-law's father, who had been a missionary for 30 years and had passed away at 92. And during the last year, I've attended the funeral of nine of my missionary colleagues from Indonesia where we served most of our time overseas. I mean, these were people we did evangelism with. We lived in each other's home. We raised each other's children. Uh, my generation of, of missionaries. And to see nine of them just in the last year pass away gives an awesome sense of mortality. And, uh, and try to put that in perspective. So uh, uh, we read uh, many, much of this yesterday. There's a lot of details to the passage, but I want to quickly move to the main point of, of the lesson this morning. But let's, uh, let's read. Let me read for you and follow in uh, verses uh, 1 through 17, John 11. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village, in the village of, of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So the sister sent word to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. But when Jesus heard this, he said, This sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard he was sick, he then stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciple, let us go to Judea again. And the disciple said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? But Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. This he said, and after that he said to them, And our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. But I go so that I may awaken him out of sleep. The disciples then said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he was speaking of literal sleep. So Jesus then said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Therefore Thomas, who's called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go so that we may die with him. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb for days. Uh, well, uh, you know, Jesus, uh, I, I have a little pity on his disciples. He was often kind of uh, confusing. You know, he liked to teach in parables, and they didn't understand what he was saying, and he had to explain it, but there was a point in that. And, uh, of course, Jesus loved Lazarus and Mary and Martha, and yet uh, he did not leave immediately. And you remember uh, why they were far away. Bethany was just two miles from Jerusalem, so anytime Jesus was in Judea, he was probably spending the night with them. Uh, but they were up in Galilee because uh, after healing the man blind in, in the ninth chapter, the Jews were seeking to stone him for his blasphemy, and so they had to retreated to, to Galilee. 
And so the disciples were a little surprised that he would then go uh, back to Judea where Lazarus had, had died. And Thomas, you know, the cynical, the skeptic said, okay, well, let's go and die with him. You know, they're going to get us now. He couldn't believe that he would, he would risk that. But, uh, and Jesus, you know, he used the metaphor. Well, Lazarus is not dead. He's, uh, this sickness is not in unto death, but he died. And he said, he's asleep and we must awaken him. And, uh, uh, but then he blatantly said, Lazarus is dead. And, you know, we like to kind of soften the reality of that. You know, that they passed away or, and, uh, they're asleep and asleep in the Lord. And the Bible uses this in many other places as a, as a metaphor for death as, as well. But uh, the shocking statement, he said, and I am glad for your sakes. I mean, that, that's pretty harsh. Well, I, I'm glad that he's dead. But what was the point here? He says it twice, that he might be glorified, that God might be glorified, the Son of Man would be glorified. And so as we read through this, and Reuben pointed this out, uh, you know, it goes on to say it affirmed the faith and strengthened the belief of the disciples that he was training and mentoring, but also many of the Jews that were there came to believe. Now, it's interesting, I, I, I didn't highlight the, the verse right here, but the Jews, now these were the religious leaders, those that were, were after Jesus, wanted to put him to death. And in the ninth chapter, they had, uh, you know, taken issue of whether or not he had even healed this blind man, whether or not it was even the man who was born blind. And uh, only God can heal the blind. So they, they, did, they had a problem with that. But it, there's a comment uh, in one of the verses here. It said uh, that... Uh, the Jews were saying, if he can heal the blind, surely he could have uh, healed Lazarus. Okay, they had to reconcile them. In fact, it really did happen. But they, they wanted to deny it. And um, later, as, as Reuben pointed out, this was the uh, straw that broke this camel's back. From this point on, he was headed to the cross. They were, had to get rid of him. They could deny the miracle of healing the blind man, but they couldn't deny a man put in the tomb for four days. And the Jews believed that the spirit left after three days, but that's the point that he was there for four days. Uh, that couldn't be denied because everybody saw him come up out of the tomb and, and was, was living. But how is God glorified in death? From our side of this side of the, the grave, the pain, the grief, the loss, the loneliness uh, of how our lives are disrupted, uh, it's just kind of an oxymoron to, to say that it glorifies God. But, but you see, God is glorified in death because it points beyond the grave to the resurrection and what he's, he's prepared for that. Uh, when my wife died, we had her burial at sunrise the morning before her memorial service. And, and my grandkids that like to sleep in, they were just uh, complaining, you know, why are we have, doing this so early in the morning? You know, when we get to the cemetery and the cars, you can see the headlights around the, find, trying to find the grave site. And yeah, we, we did have to, to pay the cemetery workers uh, 
<laughs> a good bit to get up at that hour. But, uh, you know, as we, we, we shared and reminisced and uh, gave testimony and uh, read scripture, as the body was being lowered in the grave, the first lights of the sunrise began to spread across the horizon. And suddenly there's just a brightness fill the sky. And you know what we remember that is not a body being lowered into a grave, but a soul being raised to the glory and brightness of God's <laughs> presence. And that's how we tried to put, uh, put death in perspective. For you see, we need to understand we weren't created for this life. We were not created, given these bodies, to live on and on and on. God has numbered our days. But we were created for fellowship with God, which is to be for e eternity. Uh, if you want to turn to Hebrews 11, just, uh, or, or, or just listen, this is uh, that, that roll call of faith, the great roll call of faith, uh, remember that, and uh, a key expression is in verse 38 said these are those of whom this world is not worthy they were people who knew God who followed God were obedient to God who served God they weren't living for for this life and for this world in fact they weren't worthy of this this world was not worthy of them they were living for something beyond that and reflected in the in their life but in, in verse 10 of Hebrews 11, uh, it refers to Abraham, but also to all of them collectively. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. He wasn't living for this life, what he could accomplish and his reputation and his wealth and success in this life. He was living for that eternal home that God had prepared and created for him. In verse 13, all of these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance, having confessed, they were strangers and exiles on earth. They were just pilgrims here. This is a temporary place. Verse 16, they desired a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their, their God. That put it in perspective. They were living for eternity. And what they did here on earth was to make a difference for eternity. Because that's where their reward was. They, they weren't living for acceptance and reputation here. But let's go back to John and, and read uh, the next few verses to get to the main heart of what I want to share this morning. In verse 17, when Jesus came, found he had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him, but Mary stayed at the house. Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. But Jesus said to her, 
I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the, the world. Well, uh, you know, how many of us have been just like Mary and Martha? I mean, Martha, Mary came later and she said the same thing. Lord, if you had been here, he would not die. We pray for healing. And God does not choose to heal our, our loved ones. And this, this is the same situation, the same question. We know that he can, he could, but he didn't. And so we can readily identify with both Mary and Martha and what they were, uh, were, were dealing with. Uh, but Jesus... Uh, You know, said, but I am the resurrection and the life. Now, I bet every one of you received the condolences and the compassion and love that I did. Had seen my wife decline in dementia for 15 years. Just a tragic, dismal situation in life. And, well, isn't it wonderful that she's now delivered, that she's in a better place, that she's with Jesus. And it is. That resurrection. Well, when does a resurrection occur? You know, there, there are several references. In fact, uh, uh, Martha said, I know he will be raised on the last day. So obviously, the teachings of Jesus when he comes again, and we have those references in, uh, in several passages of Scripture, in 1 Corinthians 15 and 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. You know, and the dead in Christ shall be raised and be caught up in the air and the twinkling of a moment, you know, will be, be changed. That resurrection when Christ comes. But also, uh, we believe that the soul is resurrected and goes to heaven when a person dies. And that, that's the comfort we, we have when we have to go through that grief and, and the loss of a, of a loved one. And because Jesus said to the thief on the cross, this day you'll be with me in paradise. So which is it? When are we resurrected to that heavenly life, that heavenly reward? The moment we die or when Christ returns again? Well, both. Yes. Now you can parse this out theologically. I'm not going to get into that, but... I just want to give an illustration that has helped me to where, what I think it means. Uh, last time I had a colonoscopy. Okay, I'm not going to talk about that. <laughs> but, but it's the only surgery I've had uh, where I had anesthesia. And I remember the anesthesiist counting down, 10, 9, 8, 7, and about 4 was the last I heard. And you know that very instant after he said four, they were shaking me and waking me up? <laughs> there was no passage of time. I don't know what anesthesia does, but there was no passage of time in that. I guess that's the only way we can slow down life. But, uh, uh, you know, in that moment, time is a part of 
the created order. There is no time in heaven, that side of eternity. You know, witnessing the students and just talking about, uh, you know, eternity and all we think is day after day after day after day. It just goes on and on and on. As Billy Graham used to say, forever and ever and ever. <laughs> you know? and, uh, but, but there's not that sense of time. It's all in the present. The moment we die and our soul is reunited, that heavenly realm is exactly the same moment when Christ returns and our bodies are, are restored to him. There's no different time. Heaven is present, always present. There's no passage of time. There's no day and night and, and time frame. So it's really not an issue we should get caught up in. We just know it's a reality. And that's our, our destiny when, when we leave here. But so, so Martha understood, I know he will be resurrected the last day, but Jesus corrected her. And he said, no, you, you don't understand. I am the resurrection and the life. In the present tense, right now, I am the resurrection and, and, and the life. Uh, you know, Ephesians 2 says we are all dead in trespasses and sins. Until we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we're under the penalty of death for our sin. And we're just walking, walking dead men. But uh, Paul goes on to say in Ephesians that you were dead in your trespasses and sins, but God, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together in Christ. I'd call that a resurrection. When we move from being dead in our sin to life in Christ, we've been resurrected with him. And he goes on in verse 6, And he raised us up with him and seated us in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. When? When we eventually die and put off this mortal body? No, when we come to faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, to better understand this, I, I want you to take time to turn in your Bibles to Romans 6. In the, uh, and I think this is where we get to the heart of what we, we need to take away from, from John 11. But uh, Paul is first talking about both uh, Jews and Gentiles. They're all, we're all sinners separated from God, dead in trespass sins. But it, when, once we're saved by the grace of God, so it doesn't matter how we live because we're saved by grace. And he starts off, verse 1, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? Keep pouring out that grace and forgiveness. And of course, the answer is obvious. Absolutely not. not. May it never be. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Now, here we go. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Now listen, he's not talking about water baptism. Water baptism symbolizes the fact that we have been baptized and immersed into Jesus Christ. We are in him. He is in us. We are one with Christ. 
because we have died with him. Now, I think any one of us would, could readily explain the substitutionary death of Christ. Well, I'm, no, I'm going to take that back. I defy anyone to try to explain the substitutionary death of Christ. But we believe it. We know it. When you talk about you can be saved by believing in Jesus Christ, what is it that you're believing? You believe that Jesus was the sinless Son of God, and when He died on the cross, He paid the penalty of death for your sins and my sins. Amen. And we're believing, because we believe that, that it saves us from having to pay that penalty of sin because Jesus substituted for us. That was our sins on the cross. He was dying for our sins. So we have died with Christ, and that's what baptism, being buried with him, verse 4. Therefore we've been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Verse 5. Now note very carefully. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Now listen, folks, if we can so readily accept the substitutionary death of Christ, why don't we accept the substitutionary resurrection of Christ? That we've been raised from the dead. We have a new life in Christ. We're a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. Jesus said, I am the resurrection. When you believe in me, when you trust me, you have been resurrected from death unto life. And what did he go on to say to Martha? And you will never die. And even though you die, you still live. But that's the resurrection. You don't wait till Jesus comes again. You don't wait till you leave this earthly uh, clay vessel of your, your bodily life, your mortal life here. It's when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, you have entered into that resurrected life that goes on forever and ever and ever. <laughs> and uh, praise God for Billy Graham. And uh, so, so notice what this implies, what the resurrected life implies. We're, we're, verse 5, if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, have we as a believer? Yes, absolutely. We shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. Five things he says about the Christian, the resurrected life. We identify with the crucifixion of Christ. We have died to him. We have died to self. We have died to selfish living, carnal living, the attractions of the world. They're dead. And he said that they've been, they've been done away. That old sin nature in Christ, now that we're in him, resurrected in him, has been done away with so that we are no longer slaves to sin. In a later verse, Paul says, there is no obligation to the flesh. 
Nothing is making you continue walking in worldly, fleshly, sinful ways because it's been, been done away with. And for he who has died is free from sin. Now, I won't go into detail, but let me just explain. Paul is, is right there where you are. He's, he's knowing, okay, this, this is kind of way out there. This is kind of hard, hard, hard to grasp. And he goes on, and, and he's kind of dealing with it. Okay, this, this is hard to really assimilate in our understanding and, and thinking. And you think, well, I still have a sinful nature. I still do things that are wrong. I still have lust and appeals to, you know, my self-esteem and worldly things and, uh, you know, and I, okay, theologically, yeah, I, I recognize that's true, but practically, real, real, no, not, not, not really. A new creature. Sin's been done, done away with. So in verse 11, he gets to that point and he says, even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And, and what he's saying is that you may not feel this. This may not reflect on your, your life experience as a Christian. But just consider, this is the way it is. This is true. If you have King James Version or some of the other translations, it says, reckon this to be true. What does it mean to, to reckon? Do we have any accountants in here? Julie? Is it Julie? Okay, what do you do when you reconcile your accounts? Bring them into a, bring them into agreement. You reconcile them. Well, that's the word reckon. It's an accounting term. And this is what Paul is uses. Whether this is what you feel, what you experience, uh, what's going on in your life, just bring it into agreement with the truth and reality. This is the way it is as a Christian you have died with Christ, and you have been raised to a new life in Him. I would have to say, if I were really pressed of all the Scripture I just love so dearly, that I think my favorite passage is Galatians 2.20. Because Paul describes in this verse uh, the reality of how we become a Christian and what the Christian life is all about. Okay, how many of you know Galatians 2.20 know exactly where I'm going here? I am crucified with Christ. Okay, if you've been crucified with Christ, therefore you no longer live. But it is Christ who lives in you. Because you've been resurrected, participated in His resurrection, the power of that resurrection. And uh, the life that you now live in the flesh is no longer me, but it's Christ who lives in me. You know what the next verse says? Uh, this, this is King James. I'm old, folks. <laughs> you know, I, I can't get away from the way I learned it. Uh, there, therefore, I do not frustrate the grace of God. Can you imagine God being frustrated? I mean, I, I thought that was a modern 20th century, 21st century term, you know, frustration. And uh, here it is back in Old English, the King James Version. God is frustrated 
When you have died to sin, you've accepted his salvation that he's given and now been made a new creature, but you still keep trying to live the Christian life yourself, trying to be holy, trying to be righteous, trying to do what's left, trying to thwart the uh, appeals of the world and self-centeredness of sin to you. When he's there as a new life that is now one with the resurrected, all-powerful, almighty, holy, sinless Son of God, wanting to do it for you and live your life for you as a new creature in Christ, and you're rejecting that to try to do it yourself, live the Christian life yourself. You're frustrating the flow of God's grace as one who is now living in fellowship with him. Well, let's, let's go back for just a moment. I, I kind of watching the clock, didn't think I'd have, have time to get, get to this, and we don't, but anyway, I'm going to share it. Anyway. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, Paul writes in verse 13, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep. Okay, back to the metaphor, that's okay. So that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. Well, I'm, I'm, I didn't want to really get into this because, uh, I mean, talk about grief, learning to live alone after almost 60 years with someone you love dearly sharing your ministry and losing colleagues and son-in-law and other others close to us yeah in fact uh praying through it uh with with a dear friend i was just struggling over the grief and said, why isn't god my sufficiency you know to give me victory over this and, and they have me realize that God is my sufficiency, has been, always will be. And grief is just a natural response, you know, to, to a situation. It does not contradict the love and compassion and sufficiency of God in my life. And, uh, but it's not the kind of victorious life I'd had previous to that. It's a new, new experience for me. But we, don't, we do grieve, but not as those without hope. And being all over the world and a missionary for 40 years, uh, and even here in America, I was an interim pastor during the COVID years, 2020-21, conducted seven funerals, the little church where I was interim pastor during those two years. I mean, you, you, you learn the reality of death and the grief of death in trying to minister people. But there's a difference of those without hope. For many years, we lived in Bangkok, Thailand, among Buddhist people. And when someone would die in the neighborhood, you know, as, as neighbors, we'd be notified and we'd notice the ceremony going on in the yard and the street. And uh, the Buddhist monks would encircle the casket, chanting, dead never to arise, gone never to return, asleep never to awaken and just on and on and on, dead never to arise, gone never to return, asleep never to awaken. And any wonder the grief that was uncontrollable in the futility, 
you know, of what they believe without hope and understanding the, the hope that we have in Christ and his resurrection. In Indonesia, we discovered the Muslims there had a little ceremony they called the Slamatan. Now, Slamatan is actually the root word for, that we use for salvation. But any special event was accompanied by a Slamatan, a little ceremony, a Muslim priest comes and all the neighbors gather. If you move into a new house, if you open a business, if you get married, if you have a new birth of a new child, if you plant your crops, when you harvest your crops, you gather and have a slamatan, seeking blessings, safety, you know, security. But interesting, I found, when someone dies, and the Muslims, they have to be buried within 24 hours. So they're buried, and they always return to the house and have a slamatan to pray for the salvation of the one they've just buried. And then the, one of the little kids comes by about three days later saying we're having the three-day slamatan. So three days later, then they gather again, once again praying for salvation. And then on the 40th day, and then the 100th day after they died, and then the 1,000th day, they're still praying for their salvation because there's no assurance, there's no hope whatsoever. We don't grieve like people without hope. It's a time of celebration, like that sun rising in the morning to the brightness of God's glory and submitting our loved one into his care. But I think the important takeaway here is when Jesus said, I am the resurrection of a life, it's not I'm the basis of your faith and therefore that assures your resurrection to heaven one day. He's saying right now, I'm ready to raise you to a new life in Christ Amen. with all the power and blessing of Christ himself now living in you. You're no longer obligated to that old sinful self-centered life. We have a new life because we're resurrected with Christ. And yes, one day we're going to die, but we, we, we just keep on living. Because while we live, we have already died and made that transition. Let me pray with you and just take a few moments. Uh, Reuben, you can manage our time and call uh, stop when about five or ten minutes or so. Just kind of share a little discussion, not... Uh, trying to avoid getting back into your experiences and your grief. We've all been there. But has this given you some new insights into what Jesus means, what the resurrection, the resurrection and the life, they go together, that new life in Christ. And perhaps a new perspective on the, the death experience that you've had to go through with loved ones and family. Father, we just uh, thank you for the truths of your word and for this testimony of Jesus to help us understand, as he did with Mary and Martha, that that resurrection is for now. It wasn't when Lazarus came up out of the tomb, but when Lazarus put his faith in you. And Lord, there's so many that still grieve. And I pray that you would just release us and set free as we rejoice in the faith and commitment of our loved ones to Jesus Christ, knowing that they were already 
with him when they pass from fellowship with us here on earth. And Lord, just keep that hope alive in us that we have a reality of the resurrected Christ who came up out of the tomb, living within us, giving us that same resurrection power in the days and years that you give us to live for you on this earth. In Jesus' name, amen.